Spider-Man No Way Home is the talk of the town and the talk of this podcast. I've got a packed 15-minute spoiler-filled review coming up right now on 15 Minutes of Marvel. There was an idea. Because if we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. I'm like this all day. What are they called again? Annulax batteries. Harvey Larry batteries. As far as I'm concerned, that's America's ass. I control the truth. Mysterio is the truth. Boom. You looking for this? What is up? What is up? And welcome back to 15 Minutes of Marvel, the only podcast that gives you Marvel reviews, news, and rumors in pretty much 15 minutes. I'm your host, Ethan Simi. Today on the pod, I'm giving you my spoiler-filled thoughts on No Way Home. I gave you all a spoiler-free review last week, so if you haven't seen the movie yet or you're still on the lookout for spoilers, go check that review out right now first. But today... I'm opening up the multiverse. It is spoilers left and right, baby. We are doing this. I was lucky enough to have Ben Lawhorn of Three Films and a Podcast, along with Liam Crowley and Matt Rumkey of the Direct Podcast, on the show this week, yesterday, actually, for a special extended spoiler-filled review. It was such a blast. It was so much fun. Clocks in over an hour, which makes it super-duper special. And uh, if you want a longer spoiler-filled review and conversation, Go check out that episode of the pod as well. But today, right now, we are doing the packed house version of a spoiler-filled review. 15 minutes. We're going to get this rocking and rolling. I'm very excited. I can't, I just, I love talking about this movie. So excited to talk about it again. And honestly, I can't wait to go see it again. Let's start with a big spoiler of the movie and a certain lawyer showing up maybe, maybe 10 minutes into the movie. Our boy, Charlie Cox, Matt Murdock, Daredevil is back in the official MCU. It was freaking awesome. It was really cool to see my theater cheered and clapped. I was pretty hyped, honestly. I thought it was really, really fun. I liked it. It makes sense for him to come in when Peter needs a lawyer. Aunt May called him Matt, which was very interesting to me, even though the scene lasted maybe a minute. Gosh, maybe not even that. Uh, I picked up on that Aunt May did call him Matt. So maybe, maybe we've got a little history there. Maybe Matt Murdock has been hanging around the MCU. We just haven't quite seen him yet. I think the scene and this introduction of this character works on the whole for sure. Also, how epic to see him catch that brick. When Peter was getting ready to, that was so sick. And then when he said, I'm just a really good lawyer, I like lost my mind. I was like, that's our boy. That's our guy. Like, ah, oh, it was so, so cool. But I do have to lodge a formal complaint real quick before we move on. I, I, I'm not saying it wasn't good to have him in the movie, but he showed up, he told Peter that he was good, but that Happy needed a lawyer, and he disappeared. He, he, he left, he ran away. I don't quite know where he went and, and, and what he was doing for the rest of the movie. I'm not saying that he should have been in the movie anymore. Quite the contrary, actually. I think he was in this movie the perfect amount, but it does feel like a true fan service moment, really at its core. That's kind of what it feels like. I don't like saying that really because if if you want, you can say this whole movie is fan service. I don't think it is. I don't even think it's fan service to the extent that Endgame was when you're talking uh, Molnir and Cap and all of these types of things. I think that was more fan service than this entire film was. But the movie, the scene could have survived without our boy Matt Murdock. I didn't want it to. I, I loved him there. Hell yeah, I was glad that he showed up. But you know, just just a little call out. The movie's not perfect by any means. A lot of fun stuff in it, though. The other big reveal of the movie, obviously, Tobey Maguire. Andrew Garfield showing up through some portals that Ned opens. 
Holy cow. Let's pause for a second here because that sentence is a lot to break down. Honestly, that's that's a loaded sentence. And I never thought I never thought that that would be a sentence that I would be speaking out into the world as truth, as truth, not just like, oh, man, that would be cool if this ever happened. No, it happened. We all witnessed it. And I I can't wait to go witness it again. Let's start with the fact that Ned can use a sling ring and now open portals like multiple occasions, not just once. We see him do it kind of a lot in this movie. He brings Doctor Strange back. He opens a portal to the ocean, kind of, I guess, and sprays water on Lizard and can't close the portal and all kinds of, of Ned portal action in this movie. Storytelling wise, I think this is definitely more on the fun side of things. I don't think it was something that was critical or crucial to the movie, but I do think it's a really fun uh, little little ripple in the movie, if you will. And I really enjoyed that it was alluded to in the beginning of the movie with Ned kind of talking to Strange about the possibility of having magic. I love that. That was a really funny mo- moment in and of itself. And then we kind of get the payoff later on in the movie. It was really, really cool. And possibly, just possibly cracking open the door for a, a Strange Academy type uh, project in the future. Maybe, maybe not. We will see. But I think uh, cool things are in store for Ned. And, and I hope that he comes back either in the next Spider-Man movie or, or shows up in something else. I think, I don't think we're done. I don't think you give him the ability to access and operate a sling ring only for it to, to not go anywhere and not mean anything. Andrew Garfield shows up. Uh, another, another big deal in this movie. Oh my God. The chills, the cheers, the fact that he is literally showing up on the big screen was just downright incredible. His introduction, along with Toby's, along with Toby Maguire's, honestly, were premium. I think they were chef's kiss. I can't see how they would have been any better, any more in character. It feels like these actors and these characters did not lose a step. In the slightest, Andrew comes back into his cheeky, cool Peter Parker, just like that. And holy shit, Toby Maguire, that smile, that smile, guy, uh, to Ned's ground was just to die for. It was so beautiful you know so perfect and I, and I thought him being introduced in his street clothes was a really really great thing as well because you take a look at their respective movies and you got Garfield with his duo of movies and Tobey Maguire with his trilogy and these Spider-Men came in and and they really remained true to the essence of their individual Spider-Men and that is a huge reason why I think this movie worked as well as it does why I think Andrew and Toby work so well in this movie too, they all have different strengths, different abilities, different ways of solving problems and looking at the world. And really, Toby coming in and saying like, "Oh, it's it's Spider Man is not something I really advertise." That was all fucking point of like the Sam Raimi trilogy. That was a really big trope and storyline that we were really focused on. Tom Holland, we all know, wears his mask a lot less. Andrew Garfield coming, you know, in the middle there, and I think it was so interesting to have them really just kind of slide right back into their own individual characters. I mentioned this on the extended review, but the conversation that all three Spider-Men have after Aunt May dies is crucial. It, it is kind of beyond crucial. It is absolutely and wholeheartedly critical to this film. And this is why an event that should be blowing Peter Parker's mind does nothing to him. He, he is unfazed. He doesn't care and it is kind of mind-boggling when you take a step back and you realize just what is happening in this scene, in this scenario. It's really something because that same Peter Parker that 
constantly asks about the multiverse and skips a beat when he hears that it's real and he kind of freaks out, that very same Peter Parker is now witnessing two other Spider-Men from different universes in front of him and not even blinking an eye. Point number one about this scene being so pivotal, the tragedy and the pain that he is going through in that very moment from watching May die is nearly unbearable, literally nearly unbearable. It has numbed him in ways that have really sucked out his personality and made him absolutely not care about anything else in the world and anything else in in multiple worlds that is happening, which is so crazy for this character in such a well-orchestrated character development moment. I loved that so much. Leaping off from that, second key point in this scene is when he tells Andrew to be quiet, right? That Andrew doesn't know what he is going through. And that, again, is such a a crucial and a critical conversation between Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield, because Andrew then says, you're right. And he stops talking. Normally, in a comic book movie, this scene would be moving at a much quicker pace with constant clashing of dialogue. But we get to have this moment, this very real, very heartfelt moment of Andrew's Peter realizing that he truly does not understand what is going on. And that is something that I think we should all kind of take a second and realize is really impressive and really well-written and really well done. It allows our Tom Holland kind of to relish in his anger as well. It kind of feeds him a little bit and says, you're right, you, you, what you are going through, you are justified in feeling exactly the way that you feel in his grief and, and his vengeance and everything that he feels in that moment. It also allows the other Peters to realize that, that they are truly different. They all are individualistic in their own ways. It is one of the most emotional moments in the MCU for me. I think that's kind of solidified, and it's right up there with kind of Clint and Nat on Vormir, Pepper Potts telling Tony that he can rest now. That is my all-time favorite scene, and I think it's right up there with it. I mean, it is the crux of the, the really emotional backbone of this film. Kicks us off into just a fucking fun hour of Spider-Man swinging and kicking some villain ass. And really, what I think this movie is doing really, really well compared to lots of other comic book movies and even other Spider-Man movies is it is allowing us to take a beat, take an emotional beat and an emotional moment to put ourselves in Peter Parker's shoes, right? At the end of the day, Peter Parker is an average guy. He, he is kind of just like us, except for the fact that he's Spider-Man, but he is just like us. And that is what makes him so relatable and so interesting. He's a teenager. He's figuring things out for the very first time and making dumb decisions. You can say that there are plot holes in this movie, but you can also back out of them and say, well, he's a teenager and he's kind of dumb. So that just kind of happens sometimes. I think this this moment, especially for me, is, is going to go down as one of the best MCU moments. I can't wait to see how it ages, and I can't wait to own this movie so I can watch it again and again and again and again. This is really a movie that kind of concludes the ultimate origin story for our hero, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, right? We, we see him in, in Homecoming. He wants to do more. He is willing to do big hero-level things. And ultimately battling between that and really resolving that he kind of wants to be a teenager at the end of it. Then in Far From Home, you have him being the owner of, of essentially the most powerful computing system in the MCU in Edith, left to him by Tony, only for him to decide that he is not up to the task. He does not want the responsibility. He just wants to be a teenager, giving it to Quentin Beck, 
causing all sorts of, of mayhem and, and problems that bleed into this movie as well. And then in No Way Home, he realizes that he has to do the right thing. He has to be the hero that everybody needs him to be. That post-Endgame world, that post-Tony Stark world needs him to be. And he doesn't get to do the easy thing. He doesn't get to just choose one or the other, but he has to do the right thing in order to fill, fulfill the, the responsibility that he has. And, and really, I love that it's a story of him and his friends kind of being a unit, kind of going through all of this together. And it also shows us that Peter now can understand that in order for Spider-Man to win, maybe Peter Parker doesn't win and vice versa. And you can't have really these dual lives anymore. You can't have that. You you have to be synonymous. You have to be one in the same with the hero that you are, with the hero that that people need. And I think that is such a an incredible message to deliver across three separate films. We really get a true, fleshed out, bulky, just good, juicy character arc in Peter Parker Spider-Man. And then at the end of this, we get to see him kind of not have anything that he already had. He has no safety net anymore. People don't know who he is. He's moving away on his own to college, to his own apartment, and we'll see what the future holds for him. But I loved this storyline that we got over three different movies. Let's talk about the third act real quick. The MCU, obviously known for overly CGI, huge third acts that don't always land the plane. I think this is kind of similar, but entirely different. Entirely different because... Of course, it's a CGI fest. You've got three Spider-Men battling Sandman, Lizard, Doc Ock, who has four purely CGI tentacles. But there's a huge difference in this movie that separates it really from the rest, from, from the Shang-Chi, from the Black Widow that we've seen earlier in the year. We get a really grounded and really powerful emotional connection moment between Tom Holland and Tobey Maguire when Tom is about to impale Harry Osborn with the glider out of anger, out of spite, out of vengeance, out of wanting to get his way, Toby steps in. And what is so neat about this moment, really, for me, is that no words are spoken. They both know. They inherently know what each other are thinking and what each other are trying to communicate. They both know that this is not how Spider-Man wins. Not being eaten up by rage, by vengeance, like Andrew's Peter. That is not the solution. And that specific moment really allows us to have our cake and eat it too because it is so grounded. It brings us back full circle to the human side of Peter Parker, back to his emotional core, what's driving him, what he and and the teenager in him is learning as he goes through all of these massive events. Huge win. I love it so much. Let's quickly wrap up with the two post-credit scenes. We have the Venom post-credit scene. It was okay. It was okay. I'm just not a big Venom guy. Like uh, listeners of the pod know, I just don't really enjoy Tom Hardy's Venom. It's it's not my Venom. It's, it's just not something I enjoy. So Seeing that as a post credit scene, I was like, eh. But knowing that he's he's out, knowing that he's out of the MCU is pretty cool. Knowing that we have some symbiote gel and, and goo left over, also very, very cool. The Multiverse of Madness trailer, teaser, sizzle, whatever you want to call it, was the second post credit scene. I'm torn because it looks cool. It looks really cool. And and Marvel gave us several scenes as a post credit scene, right? I love that we get to see Wanda. I love that we get a reference to WandaVision and everything that happens within that. But also, I feel a little cheated because I didn't really want a trailer for a second post-credit scene. I don't know what you put there. I don't have an idea of how to make that better or something else that would have fit, but also a trailer. Like, I just, I just don't know. Glad that we have it out now. 
Very exciting. We still know frighteningly little about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, along with the multiverse as a whole. Um, so yeah, I'm a little nervous, but you know, it is what it is. I think it's a, a unique draw for sure. And I would bet money that this is not the last time that Marvel Studios puts a trailer as a post-credit scene. I'm going to end this, uh, end this episode of the pod, this 15 minute review with it, with something really, really spicy. Toby's my boy. That's my guy. Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man that we have yet. Andrew Garfield won this movie. He fucking delivered it. And it was absolutely unbelievable the Gwen Stacy MJ moment that he got to live through the closure that he got the emotion that we feel I can't talk about it for very long because I'm gonna cry literally like I just can't I'll get lost in that in that scene thinking about all of that Andrew Garfield won the movie end of the day this movie is my favorite MCU movie of 2021 currently residing in my top five MCU films of all time I'm gonna have an updated MCU power ranking show coming out in January of 2022 that will definitely give you more details on, on where all of that lies. Go see this movie. Go see this movie again. I highly recommend it. It's well-written. It's really fun to watch and to experience. And it sets forth so many wheels in motion for the future of the MCU. I loved every second of it. What did you think of Spider-Man No Way Home? Let me know on Twitter at 15MinuteMarvel. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on any major podcast platform. A special shout out to the patrons of the show. Brandon Clark, Hajir Shakib, Reagan Knopp, Alan Cole Peacock, Jordan Tanner, and Ben Lawhorn. Thank you all so very, very much. And a happiest of holidays from me here at 15 Minutes of Marvel to you and your family. Please celebrate with those that you love the most. I will see you back here next time. I'm Ethan Simi, and remember, always go higher, further, and faster. Oh!